Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. This morning, I want to spend some time talking about why the Bible matters to us so much. And what I'm really wanting to emphasize is that it it needs to become a a tool, a powerful weapon that that we use every day in our lives. You know, the the reality is is that. Um, the, the Bible is our primary source of, of power as, as followers of Christ. I want to read from Ephesians 6, and I want to especially put emphasis on verse 17 when we come to it. Beginning with verse 10, it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle is... is um, then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. <clears throat> In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows uh, of the devil. Wow. I put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now in verse 17, Paul expresses that what is needed for us as believers to overcome Satan and his host. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we need to understand how vital the Bible really is in, in each of our lives. Uh, you know, it, it, is, it is not to be um, treated lightly or, or um, thought of as an insignificant way. I am real certain that we don't fully understand you know, what it means to have our hands on the sword of the Spirit. You know, This incredible book, the Bible, is a weapon. And, and again, understand, it is the only weapon that we have in order to do battle against the, the satanic forces of this world. You know, and the sad reality is, is that many Christians don't know how to use the Bible. 
You know, we fall victim to Satan because of our awkwardness in using and understanding the Bible. You know, let's stop and realize just what the Bible tells us about itself and how the Bible is useful in our hands. The first thing that we need to understand is that the Bible is infallible. You know, what that means is that it's trustworthy, it's foolproof, it is correct. As a whole, when you hold the Bible, that it means that it has no error in it. There are no mistakes. You know, it is a faultless divine book. It is, it is flawless. It is without Im- a blemish. And, and there is no error in it. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. So we need to understand that, that when you are holding your, your copy of the Bible, there's, there's not mistakes in it. It's not going to send you down a wrong path. The second thing we need to understand is that it is inerrant. And, and what that means is that in the details of the Bible, it has no wrong to it. Proverbs 30, 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure. Every word. Do not add to His words, or He may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. So God's Word is infallible, which means as a whole, there's no mistakes, there's nothing broken, nothing wrong about it, and it is also inerrant, which means that in detail, there are no mistakes. Now the third thing is, is that it's complete. You know, there, there are religions out there that have added to the Bible or taken away from the Bible. And, and the reality is, is it, it doesn't need addition and it certainly doesn't need subtraction. It is complete. Revelation 22, beginning with verse 18 says, And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the word of prophecy, Written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. In other words, don't add to the Bible. Don't take away from the Bible. And again, there are, there are certainly religious groups out there that do that all the time. But also, we don't want to do that in a way where we just say, well, the Bible says this when it doesn't say this, or the Bible doesn't say that when it does say that. We, the, the Bible stands on itself. It doesn't need us to add to it or to subtract anything from it. The fourth thing is, is that it is authoritative. You know, it, um, there are, again, a lot of churches out there that don't really look to the Bible as, as the guide. And I want to say here and now, the Bible is our guide. There is nowhere else that we are going to go. You know, we don't need a pope. We don't need somebody out there telling us this is what you have to do or what you have to believe. That's the Word of God's job. You know, um, it, you know, Isaiah 1-2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. You know, when God talks, 
we, our responsibility is to listen and to pay attention. And, and so the Bible is our authority for that. The fifth thing is, is that the Bible is enough. It's sufficient. 2 Timothy 3, beginning with verse 15, says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You know, when we use the Bible, what it does is it exposes our sinfulness. It brings it out into the open. It is the true plumb line so that when we look at our life compared to what the Bible teaches, we quickly see that we are out of line. We are, we are not plumb. And so what the Bible's role is, is to show us this is the standard. This is what you are to, to measure up to. This book can bring us to salvation. You know, it, it, it brings us into right standing with God. And there's, there's nothing else that is, is needed. You know, the Bible is infallible. It is inerrant. It is complete. It is authoritative. And it is sufficient that we don't need anything beyond that. Um, I have a, a, a cool story. Most of us have heard of the, the mutiny on the bounty. It was um, in 17, I forget, it's been a day since I did hit my, my history on this, but in the 1700s, the HMS Bounty had left England and it had sailed to Tahiti and it was going to um, collect some plants that were going to be taken back in order to be propagated and developed, you know, and, and things like that. Well, they ended up spending six months on Tahiti. Well, during that six months, a lot of the sailors off of the bounty took a shine to the native girls, and they didn't want to leave. I mean, who wants to leave Tahiti, you know? Uh, and so when it came time to leave, a bunch of them said, we really don't want to go. And Captain Bly, the commander of the ship, said, you're going. And so they, they left. And while they were at sea, because these guys really didn't want to be on that ship, they mutinied. And basically, they took over the ship and they loaded uh, Captain Bly and some of his loyal um, sailors onto that boat and cast them adrift at sea. Then they turned around and went back to Tahiti. And some of them went to a, another island, uh, Pis Piscari or, or something like that, near Tahiti. And ultimately... Everybody that mutinied got tracked down except for these sailors that went to this little um, island called Piscary. And here's the, the interesting thing. They didn't get discovered for a long time. When they finally did get discovered, only one of the sailors was still living. 
They had all murdered each other. They had killed each other off. They had, they had revolted against themselves. And so when this guy, when they were ultimately found, there was one sailor and like 20 women. You know, so he had a little harem thing going on here and a lot of kids. Now, here's, here's the cool part. The man that was the last man standing on the island, his name was John Adams, not the John Adams of American history. And he had found in the trunk that had been taken off of the bounty, the ship's Bible. And he began to read that Bible. And the Word of God convicted him of his sinfulness. And he came to salvation in Jesus Christ. And then he began teaching it to all of the women and the children that were on the island. And ultimately, they all became followers of Christ. Because a guy who was a sinner, who was a murderer, who was a cutthroat, who was, who was the most despicable kind of person that you can imagine, began reading the Bible, and it changed his life. That's what the Bible does. When we honestly engage the Word of God, when we begin to, to read it and, and, and open our minds to what the Bible teaches, it changes us from the inside out. So the Bible is effective as well. It changes lives. Isaiah 55.11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word changes people's lives. Needless to say, it's a divine book. It is written by God. It, he is the author. He used human writers, but He is the source. He is the author. 2 Peter 1.21 says, The Scripture or no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is God's book. Now listen, a book that is infallible, it's inerrant, it's complete, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's effective, it's divine, is a book that we ought to be engaged in, that we ought to be invested in. You know, if you listen to what the Bible teaches and, and obey what the Bible teaches, it's going to change you from the inside out. John 8, 47 says, Whoever is born of God listens to God's Word. You do not hear His Word because um, you don't hear His Word because you are not born of God. What this is telling us is, is that if you read the Bible and you pay attention to it and you, and you understand it, it shows that you are a, a person of God, that you are a follower of, of God. But if you can read the Bible and it makes no difference to you, if you don't care whether you read the Bible or not, if it has no impact on your life, what it also says is you are not 
part of God. You are not a, you don't belong to God. And again, this is critical. This is a huge red flag. Please hear me carefully. If you are sitting here this morning and you say, I, I really don't care whether I read the Bible or not. It's not that important to me. I, I don't really feel an urge, a need, a desire to read the Bible. Please understand that is a very huge blinking red light that says you probably are not born of God. Don't dismiss this. Don't allow yourself to say, eh, it'll be all right. It won't be all right. So the Bible is a determiner in our lives. So what does the Bible do for you? It, it is the source of absolute truth. Uh, again, in our society today, people are are more and more saying there is no such thing as absolute truth. There is, no, there is no real truth. Truth is what it means to me. And it can be different than what it means to you. That is absolute hogwash. There is absolute truth. And it is the Word of God. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. You know, it, truth about what? Truth about life, truth about death, truth about time, eternity, heaven, hell, truth about right and wrong, truth about men and women. You know, um, this is especially critical as we in our society are becoming more stupid every day in, in you know, what is a man or what is a woman and, and I can be both and, you know, all of the nonsense. No, the Word of God is truth. You know, it teaches us truth about everything that is relevant in life. You know, the, the, the relationship that we are to have with God, everything that matters, the Bible speaks to, and it is truth. Secondly, you know, the, the Bible is a source of happiness. You know, let me ask you a question. Are, are you a happy person? You know, are, are you a content in your heart person? I'm promising you that if you will engage the Word of God, if you will, if you will become a, a legitimate follower and reader of the Bible and, and, and begin to allow it to, to touch your life, you're going to experience happiness. You're going to experience joy. You're going to experience a, a sense of, of elation that you can't get anywhere else. You know, um, Proverbs 8, 34 says, anyone who listens to me is happy. Jesus said in Luke 28, happy are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So the Bible is our link to God, and therefore it is our source of happiness. It is also the source of truth. You know, no one is happier than someone who knows the truth. You know, we, we aren't having to live the lie. Um, let's see, Peter said, growing grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how, how do you do that? Well, the Bible. That's how. 1 Peter 2.2 Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk 
so that you will grow into a full, into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. If you want to be happy, if you want to be content, if you want to be filled with joy, if you want to know what is truth so that when you watch the nightly news or, or you follow whoever you follow on Facebook and all of that sort of stuff, if you want to be able to discern truth from lie, get into the Word of God. Also, the Bible is our source of power. You know, we are absolutely powerless in our lives if we're not using God's Word. Remember, the battle we are in is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. You know, guns and knives and bombs doesn't solve the issue. The Word of God is what solves the issue. And so we have to understand that. And so the only way that we can stay alive, the only way we can be successful <clears throat> is if we have command of the Word of God. You know, again, I read earlier <clears throat> Ephesians 6.17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the weapon that we use against our enemy. The Bible is your source of truth, your source of happiness, your source of growth, your source of power, your source of guidance, your source of comfort, your source of perfection, your source of victory. Everything about our Christian lives is tied to our ability to know and use the Word of God. We are in a war spiritually, like it or not. You know, we, we don't have a say in it. The fact is that you, when you became a Christian, you got put into the battle. You are involved in a spiritual war. And we are battling against Satan and, and his forces. You know, and so as Christians, we have not been left defenseless. We have been given power in Christ Jesus. And we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, the Word of God tells us. So when we understand that, that we are facing the, a, an enemy that is powerful, we are facing an enemy who is, who is conniving and, and, and he's tricky and he's got all kinds of, of weapons we need to understand that what God has given us is truly all we need. We don't need you know, a bunch of other stuff. We need what God has provided us, the armor of God. And the, the, the weapon that we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now understand, this is all spiritual. Again, you know, this, our belt is spiritual. Our breastplate is spiritual. Our, our shoes, our helmet, our shield, everything is spiritual because we are involved in spiritual warfare. When you became a Christian, you received the sword. You know, you have the Bible. And you say, well, unbelievers have the Bible too. But the thing is, is unbelievers don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And that's what makes the difference. You know, we, any, you're right, any old person can have a Bible. 
When I was in college, I had a, a Jewish rabbi who he knew the Bible inside and out, but he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. And so it wasn't, it, he had no power. It was just an academic exercise for him. You know, unbelieving people don't understand the things of God. But when we have the Spirit in us, we do have power. The Word of God becomes a, a weapon, a useful weapon. In Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You know, when you use this sword, people get saved. You know, when, if you're one of those people that get on Facebook and you like to banter back and forth with people out there, you know, I don't get why anyone would want to do that, but there certainly are a lot of people who, boy, you know, they, they want to throw in on everything that comes up. Well, why don't, instead of putting out your opinion, start putting in the Word of God and say, this is what the Bible says about what you're talking about. This is what the Bible says about unborn children. This is what the Bible says about hate and, and racism and, and murder and, and all of the different things. Start using the Bible. And you'll see people will hate you really, really badly. But that you know what? Stand for truth. Use the Word of God and people will get changed. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joint and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now that word discerner means to judge. So when you use the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit, what you're going to do is you are going to let the Word judge people. You're not judging them. The Word of God is doing it. You declare the Word and it brings God's judgment to bear. You know, it, it sifts the person. It sifts their life. It, it, it reveals them. It shows who they really are. And that's why people become so enraged when the Bible is used because it is spiritually striking into their heart and they don't like it. It makes them mad. You know, the very next verse in Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God's Word comes cutting in and and what happens is souls get cut away from spiritual darkness you know it becomes a scalpel that that cuts the life away from from sin and cuts the life away from darkness now we need to understand that the sword is both offensive and defensive you know, and, and you know, if you've ever seen you know, someone using a sword, they can use it to, to attack, but they can also use it to defend, to parry the, the attack of someone else. And so being aware that you use it both ways is, is really important. Let's think about Jesus when He was tempted in the wilderness. 
You know, uh, he, he's out in the wilderness and he's hungry and he's thirsty and he's tired and he's worn down. And Satan comes to him on three different, uh, three different temptations. He attacks him in three different ways. The first thing is basically he's saying, you don't need to trust God. Just turn some stones into bread. And, and you know, you don't need to wait for God to meet your needs. You can take care of this yourself. That's the temptation. But how does Jesus respond? He responds by quoting Scripture exactly related to what the temptation was. The temptation was turn rock to bread. And so Jesus quotes Scripture that says, it is written, thou shalt not live on bread alone. He uses the Scriptures that tie exactly to the temptation. Secondly, Satan comes to him and he wants Jesus to test God. He's saying, jump off the temple. The Bible says that if you jump or if you're hurt, you're, if you're about to be hurt, angels will come and they will rescue you. And again, Jesus uses Scripture, and in both of these, He uses um, Scripture from Deuteronomy. When is the last time any of us read Deuteronomy? You know, honestly, it's, it's, not, it's not on the New York Times bestseller list. But Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. You know, and, and, and what He uses is Scripture that, again, directly attacks based on where the temptation is coming from. And then the third temptation, bow down to Me and you can have anything you want. You know, that's basically the temptation that's been given to Jesus. And again, Jesus uses Scripture that is exactly dealing with the temptation. So in other words, Jesus is using the, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and He's using it perfectly to defend Himself against attacks coming at Him. You know, uh, and, and so he, he uses it as a defensive weapon. You know, the, we all own Bibles, right? Some of us have multiple Bibles. But what are we doing with it? Is it a coaster that we put our coffee on so it won't ring the, the, the nightstand? You know, it, it, is it really being used? Do we use it to press flowers? Um, you know, do we really use the Bible as a weapon to defend ourselves when you are being tempted? Do you go to the Bible? No, most of us don't. When you're being attacked, do you go to the Bible? No, most of us don't. You know, we're not using the Bible. And, and as a result, we're getting the crud beat out of us on a regular basis, spiritually speaking. You know, um, what Satan does is he, he knows you better than you know you. And he knows exactly what buttons to push to get you. You know, in warfare, when you have two armies facing each other, one of the things that they will do is they will send out um, small units to probe the enemy line. And the reason that they do that is they're looking for weaknesses. They're looking for the best place to attack where the enemy is weakest. Well, that's exactly what Satan does. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you struggle. And so as a result, that's exactly where he's going to attack. 
So what do you need to do? You need to go to the Word of God and you need to find every single Scripture that you possibly can, every part of the Bible that deals with where you are weakest. If you have a problem with lust, you have a problem with pornography, you have a problem with bitterness, you have a problem with lying, you have a problem with whatever you have a problem with. Go to the Word of God and find where the Bible talks about that and where the Bible teaches that. And then begin to apply it to your life. And when you get tempted, what you do is you pull out the Scripture that you have studied and learned and you deal with that attack by quoting Scripture and by standing in the standing with your armor, with your shield up and your sword in your hand. That's how it's done. You overcome Satan when you understand and you know the Word of God. And again, the reasons why so many Christians fall is because we don't know the Word of God. You know, do you know where to go in the Bible to defend yourself? It's time to learn. Most Bibles have a concordance in the back, and it'll have words like, you know, lust or anger or bitterness, and look those up and go to the scriptures and, and learn those things. You know, that's how it's done. Now, it's also an offensive weapon, an attacking weapon. Every time we take the gospel out into the public square, every time we talk to a non-believer and we use the Word of God, we are using it as an offensive weapon. I'm not talking about to offend, although that will happen. I'm saying that we, this is how we advance the kingdom. You know, every time you see a person saved, that was a, an attack that landed a blow against the enemy. You know, the Word of God will never return void, but will always accomplish what God pleases. Again, that's from Isaiah 55. Now be careful. You know, it, our opinion doesn't matter. You know, the world doesn't need more opinions. You know, goodness knows everybody's got two or three of them. But the world needs is truth from the Word of God. You know, when, when you are dealing with someone, again, if, if someone has a problem and, and you work with them, you know them, you're, you're interacting with them, don't say, well, this is what I think you ought to do. Who cares? We don't matter. The Word of God does. And so what you do is you say, well, you know, in the Bible, it says this about what you're dealing with. In the Bible, this is what it teaches about this particular thing that you're dealing with. And you use the Bible to, to help the person see what is truth, what is the perfect plumb line. And then let the Holy Spirit do its work. You know, we don't, none of us have ever won anybody to Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. Our job is just to present the Word of God. You know, have, have you ever been in a conversation where maybe you didn't know the right answer, where someone's talking about, oh, hey, you go to church. Um, what, what does the Bible say about such and such? And you're like, uh, you know, find out. 
get back to them and say, this is what the Bible says. You were asking me, I'm sorry I didn't know at the moment, but let me find out. You know, and, and, and do the work. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. It's not the preacher's job to save everybody. It's our jobs to present the gospel, to carry the truth out into a world that needs to know the truth. This is so critical. You know, many years ago, um, the Moscow Theater, this was during the Soviet era, they, they were putting on a play called Christ in a Tuxedo. And it was a sacrilegious play, needless to say, it's in communist Russia. And the lead actor, a, a man by the name of Alexander Rostezev, um, he, he's playing the role of Christ. And, and again, this, it's this sacrilegious thing. And what he was supposed to do is read a couple of verses from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and then he's going to pull off his robe and say, give me my tuxedo and my top hat. And he was going to break into a dance routine and a song, all of it making fun of Christianity, making fun of Jesus. Well, God's Word is powerful. And what happened was when he began to quote from the, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And all of a sudden, the Word of God began to penetrate his heart. And he began to shake. And, and he began to, to struggle. And... He, he, instead of saying, hand me my top coat or hand me my, my top hat, instead of going on with the play, he just continued to read from Matthew's gospel. And needless to say, everybody's beginning to go, hey, 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 you know, like, like you do when you're messing your lines up. And they're like, get, get, hey, come on, whoo, whoo, back over here. And he just kept reading and he kept reading. And then, remembering back to his childhood in the, the Roman Orthodox Church, he remembered, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so he, he shouted that out. And right there on stage in the middle of Soviet Russia, Moscow, he came to Christ. Because the Word of God has power. It changes lives. We need to take this seriously and begin to approach the Word of God with, with a desire, with a hunger, with a thirst, with an understanding that the Word of God is our power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for giving us such a, a beautiful, wonderful, and powerful weapon. Help us to not take it so, so cheaply. Help us to understand its value, its power to change. It can change our lives. 
It will change our lives if we will just engage. And it will change the lives of the people around us if we will use it. Please, Father, help us to become serious about using your word and honoring you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.